Hi, everyone. I'm Jody Geiger, and welcome to Winning as Women on the Compete Network, powered by Clue. On Winning as Women, we spotlight the best sellers, revenue leaders, and coaches to unpack the stories and lessons that make up their success. We are gearing up for season two of Winning as Women, and I can't wait to bring it to you starting in March. But before we get there, we've got two episodes left in season one. Today, we're looking back at a conversation I had with two amazing humans who also happen to be excellent sellers and coaches. Aaron Neal and Lee Quinlan are sales managers at Clue, both leading teams to sell software that allows sellers to win more deals by understanding their competition and enabling them to effectively compete to win. If you're like most companies and sellers today, you're being asked to do more with less and every deal in your pipeline is a must win. This episode will touch on best practices for bringing up the competition to a prospect, ways to get ahead of common sales traps laid by your competitors, and how to beat the most dreaded and elusive competitor of them all, the status quo. This conversation was originally aired during the Compete Network's inaugural Winner Circle event. And if you wanna watch our conversation, we'll add a link to the video in the show notes so you can check it out. I'm so excited to share this conversation more broadly. You'll see right away why Aaron and Lee are at the top of their game. And I feel very privileged to get to work alongside them at Clue. So with all that said, please enjoy today's episode of Winning as Women. I'm so excited for this conversation uh, where we're going to be talking about how to coach reps to competitively differentiate. Uh, And I'm excited because I get to talk to two compete experts. Aaron Neal, Lee Quinlan are both sales leaders here at Clue, uh, and they have been both uh, amazing sellers at Clue previously. And so I think that uh, this conversation, we're going to be able to pull out some really interesting tactics as well as some theory um, around competitive. So just to kick us off, I'm curious, uh, because Clue is made up of a lot of competitive folks. Uh, where in your life were you most competitive before coming into your selling roles? Yeah, I'll, I'll start us off. So I'm Erin. I'm one of our sales leaders here on the mid-market commercial team. Um, and I was a competitive summer for 10 years. So I was always competing against myself, but also with my team. So that's probably where my competition came from. But really just board games, everything. I'm just so competitive. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Lee. Um, I lead the growth segment over here at Clue. Um, and... My competitive streak started back in the day with soccer. I would say, did it start even before that? Because you are a twin. You might have. Oh, oh yeah. And you know, I have an older brother. So it was fierce. <laughs> Fair. Uh, well, we're, yeah, topics we're going to try to cover here today are uh, when and how to bring up competition to a prospect because it can feel a bit awkward um, or uncomfortable. And we want to make sure that that we ha- still make everyone feel um you know, willing and open to share things in conversation with us uh, as sellers and also ways to get ahead of traps set by competition and potential, you know, can we lay our own traps Uh, as well as how to sell against uh, what we would often probably describe as a secret competitor that comes out of nowhere near the end, which is status quo, (laughs) the scariest. Uh, So Lee, just to kick us off, uh, I know something that uh, you have crafted uh, maybe out of necessity, I'm not sure. Um, but how do you bring up uh, competition to a customer? Because it's something that 
I haven't seen done as explicitly as you do it. Yeah, I think when I when I first started um, and as any kind of ramping rep, I feel like part of that journey is building up your confidence. Um, and there's also this fine balance when bringing up competition. Oftentimes, you don't want to come up too salesy or too aggressive. And so what really helped me kind of segue into that conversation with prospects was actually asking for consent. So that would look something like, hey, you know, are you evaluating any other tools in this space? If they said yes, or even if they said no, that would lead into, would it be helpful if throughout the the demo, um, I point out some unique differentiators of our offering um, in comparison to the other players in the market, um, which that consent then was a gateway if, if if approved that I could speak openly about differentiators and not feel like I was coming off too salesy. And really the root of it was in supporting the prospects evaluation, uh, which felt good to me. Yeah, it's a fine line because we don't want to um, bash competitors ever. I don't think that's a good look on anyone, um, but asking for that permission or that um, that consent for, are you curious about this? Because likely you're going to be stack ranking us against a, com- a competitor anyway. Aaron, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely love the asking for consent approach. I think it's a really good way to build trust and, and rapport as well, especially in an early sales cycle. Um, I really love to keep it casual um, and, and use uh, opportune moment, moments to, to ask about it. So like one of my favorite like small tips is like, Right when you're about to share your screen, usually that that buyer, that prospect's kind of like, okay, they're in demo mode or in their present mode. And that's usually when I like to ask a harder question, but really casually like, oh, by the way, I forgot to ask, are you looking at any other tools? And then even add in that consent question or um, maybe at the end of conversation when you're deeper in a cycle, oh, by the way, how are the conversations going with um, the other vendors you're looking at? Want to make sure I'm a, a resource for you and make sure there's no perceived gaps in our offering. Um, so you have to be strategic as to when you do it, but not make it a big deal and be very comfortable and confident in, in kind of how you display it. Where if, you, where if you were too serious or too formal, you could kind of come off as scared and that probably wouldn't bode well. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, that being scared yourself or having a bit of a, you know, a trepidous tone, uh, it probably makes the prospect feel like there's something that they need to be secretive about or they need to keep their cards close to their chest. Uh, so I love the the idea of keeping it casual uh, and then asking for for consent uh, before you you know freely talk about the differences between you and um, the way that your competitors have built out their product and built out workflows within it. Cool. So ways to get ahead of traps uh, set by competition. You know we hear these phrases like traps and landmines and <laughs> a hub, and it, it's, it sounds. Uh, you know, very operational and intentional and almost like Machiavellian. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm curious from your perspective, how do you, how do you think about, you know, traps and laying traps and then, you know, just the game um, of really the game of competing? It's it's interesting because like, like exactly what you said, traps, it's kind of like this weird connotation. Like, yeah, you want to be careful because you want to come off as still, prospect first, value first, what are they trying to accomplish first over everything. Um, But one thing that uh, I know a lot of my reps do, and I believe Lee's reps is we have kind of different questions that they can send to that prospect to ask the other um, vendors that they're looking at. And those could be unconsidered questions, like maybe things they haven't even thought of that are important or things that we know the other vendors are maybe weaker at. 
but just again casual not make it like too intense be like yeah by the way here here's a list of questions that might be helpful for you to, to review um and if you want to use them with other conversations it might be helpful to dig deep into some of these things yeah those those are what i would think of on that i don't know lee what your thoughts are yeah definitely i love sending the questions prior to i also think that Drops are inevitable um, in a competitive space, which most of us are in, I would say. And I think when you pretend that the traps aren't there, that can be a disservice to you and, and for the client. And so I think addressing them directly is also incredibly important. Um, so if a prospect brings up something about your competitor, maybe they've said something, maybe they said that they do something better than you or there's product parity and, and they do it better, it's directly responding to that, right? It, it, if it's not true, directly saying, you know, that that's simply not true and then going into a reframe or a redirect, but actually tackling that objection head on, I think is, is super important. I think sometimes, um, I know at least from my experience, the seller, when you're, you know, lobbed one of those, be it true or untrue um, questions, that you can, t you just know, you know, a competitor has teed up for this prospect to ask you. It can feel a little bit like you're on the spot and it's almost like you, you know, the same kind of, you know, fear, flight, faint, freeze type of responses can kick in. And I think it's almost natural to want to go, okay. Um, and think in your head, oh, I know, you know, I'll write this down and I'll respond back later in an email or in like a perfect way in the demo. Um, because, you know, I, I need to have this perfect response or I don't want to come across as combative. And I think that's, that's like a, I mean, it's obviously like your amygdala of some like lizard brain telling you to respond that way. And I think we actually need to just take a deep breath, like pause for a moment and actually consider what you just said. Is this true? If it's simply not true, let's say that. And if it, it is true, okay, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. I think we go broader, right? Um, if it's, if it's, if it is slightly true or somewhat true, you want to think through, okay, well, how does this add to the value or the problems or pains that this prospect has already, you know, vocalized to us that they're trying to solve. Um, and if it's something, you know, so minute, like a small little feature that doesn't really impact the, the broader goals, that's, I think an opportunity kind of to Lee said earlier to open their mind and maybe redirect the conversation to something more macro that that's going to give them the answers that they really need to get the problems to solve the problems they have i don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so what and yeah maybe lead and yeah, no so. i i i think you're spot on Aaron. i think that if that like tiny feature parody that the competition is saying they're better at um than you is not true directly respond to it and then remind them of what's actually most important to them in terms of solving this problem and take them back there because those things are just distractions. I mean, in that we have to truly understand what their main pains and challenges are, but it's it's bringing them back to that, reminding them of that, and then how your solution can uniquely um, solve that for them. And like what you just said there too, around like your solution uniquely solve them. A lot of solutions have different approaches or strategies or theories around a certain feature or product or approach or partnership. And I think that's a really important thing to fold in when these traps come up as to why this, like why our company feels like this is the, the better solution for our customers and for our buyers. Yeah. So there's a bit of um, alignment to making sure that the customer validates that. Um, and, and I guess the work here is for getting the customer to validate 
why your thought leadership, your perspective would, you know, suit them and suit them in solving their problem. Um, and so what I heard in that is uh, address when these things come up, we have to nip it in the butt, uh, in the bud, not the butt. <laughs> and and we we'll reframe. Um, so ARR is what I'm hearing. <laughs> address, yes. reframe, redirect are the words I, I've heard you say. Uh, so reframe being uh, go wider uh, and actually uh, shape the problem for them based on your perspective. And that's where your thought leadership, this education comes in. Um, but redirect, if we get pulled down into something that, you know, we know doesn't actually matter to this customer, it doesn't actually help them solve a problem. It's literally like a toddler, you know, look over here, distract them, you know, bring <laughs> it up to the things that actually matter again. Because um, we yeah. can we can all be, um, you know, at risk of, of being distracted by small things that don't matter. And so some of the work of sellers is continuously, you know, aligning us to what is it that we need to solve? What yeah. happens, you know, negatively to the business if we don't solve this? Yeah. I was just going to add to like when you said the redirect piece and like at the end of the day, getting ahead of traps, it's like objection handling. Right. And I think redirect is just you have to be very careful, you know, as a sales professional and as a partner with that client to not completely like, you know, hey, toddler, look over here. Like you definitely need to make sure that you still kind of to Lee's point, address it and make them feel whole and supported and, and confirm, hey, did I answer your question or do you feel comfortable with where we're at now after you've had that discussion because if you completely redirect and kind of ignore it then that's like not not the best um way to build further trust i'd say yeah i think you're totally right Erin. you're almost like redirecting them down a path and if you haven't validated that um they feel good about the information you've given them they feel confident in the information you've given them yeah. you could just be further distracting them and tough, you know, what I'm hearing and then I think love hearing in, in what you're saying is we're so, you know, prospect customer focused and helping them solve problems that we don't want to be talking about features that aren't going to affect how they actually address that problem or, you know, get better, save something. Um, and so it's really being specific with them, but but also having the confidence to call out when we see something um, that is distracting them and really isn't tied to those goals having the confidence to 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 work with them um, and help them see that. Awesome. So selling against uh, status quo, have it, has anyone <laughs> ever lost a deal uh, against a US Never. State? Never heard of it. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we win every single deal. It. it usually sounds something like, they have a decision right now. They're going to buy us later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, what's the I, I, hot tips, I guess, for selling against status quo? What comes to mind? Yeah, I think I think the foundation for me and Erin, I think you probably agree. We, we've talked to our teams a lot about this is truly understanding and deeply understanding the number one pain and problem that the prospect needs to solve for in relation to your solution, of course, and then what the cost of that problem is. So really understanding that and for for a lot of prospects, that conversation with them might be the first time that they're actually saying it out loud um, and actually kind of putting a, a dollar amount or a cost to what this problem is, which then can help to build a compelling event and help them understand where should this be prioritized in the list of things that, that they have to do. So again, prospect focus, but but really guiding them to understand 
how big is this problem? What's the cost of this problem? And should I be prioritizing it more than other things? Yeah. I think like, and it, that sales 101 at the end of the day, but I, I think like, it's just funny, you know, this session's all about, you know, how to compete. And I think that this status quo, I love, it's, it's a secret competitor. And I think I even forget about that half the time. And I think it's just a good reminder as sales leaders, as sales professionals, as revenue contributors, that that's the number one reason I think most companies don't gain business. I, I don't want to say lose business, but don't gain business is because people just say, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And so I think outside of all of this, getting ahead of your competition and getting ahead of the traps and when to bring it up, that's all important. But what's more important is exactly what Lee said is what is the pain we're solving for and what's the bigger, you know, solution they're looking to achieve. And not just from the, for, for their, you know, for their job, but I'd say financially and personally, like what's that actual impact going to be for them? Yeah. Um, you know, the three levels of pain is technical, financial, and, and personal, that they all need to kind of be hit for someone to want to make a change. We'll be right back after this word from the Compete Network. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Oakley, co-host of Compared to What, a show where my friend Federico and I dive deep into the all-important tool in a product marketer's toolkit, the comparison page. We guide you through real-life examples from brands like Shopify and Big Commerce, Chromecast and Airtable, Asana, ClickUp, and more taking a look at the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly along the way. So come watch Federico and myself on season one of Compared to What, only on the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. And I think in, in today's um, reality and, and environment, it doesn't often happen that there's one buyer who makes this decision, you know, in a silo or in a vacuum. It's often, you know, many folks that we're having to bring along yeah. that, you know, might resist change. And we know like the resistance, avoidance, you know, ideally even tolerance, <laughs> you know, we want to get to that embrace and drive change phase. Um, but to get there, it's it's a lot of work. Um, and so I, you know, and Lee, in something that you were saying around how do we get to that number one pain and problem? Um, for me, often the, the miss for sellers is that they don't spend that time actually understanding what are the different options that this customer has of solving this, you know, could they solve it by hiring internally? Could they solve it by, um, you know, buying a tool, any tool could be us, could be something else. Um, could they solve it by, you know, bringing in a advisory firm? Do they not have to solve it? So it's that confidence to be able to, you know, walk down different paths with that customer and truly understand what options do they have? And only once we understand that and they validate that actually we do have to solve this problem, it's now urgent. Uh, it affects many people in the organization. It will stop us from achieving some type of goal. So again, confidence. And we have to resist that the second we hear something that applies to our product, that we don't pitch. <laughs> I know we pointed here like that, you know, that itch to pitch. Um, when we so hear something, we go, oh, we do that. Uh, so how do you coach your teams to actually hold back on that? Uh, what are some of the tactics there? For me, it's getting guiding the prospect to identify what that number one pain is. So staff ranking, getting your prospect to staff rank, they're going to throw a ton of pains at you. We really want to figure out what the number one challenge or pain is. And then pulling the thread on that number one pain or challenge to that impact. So doing all of that before pitching, so resist the pitch um, and really understand 
deeply what the number one pain and challenge is. So pull the thread to that. And then you can start to talk about, okay, you know, what I want to show you in the, in the demo is how we can help you solve the number one pain or challenge that you're looking to solve. And then you kind of customize the demo to that. Yeah. I think building off of that too, getting out of just that, in, if you're speaking to one person or prospect, trying to go broader and getting out of that one person or prospect's pain, um, making sure that that pain that they're speaking to is bigger than them. Because um, often, I mean, it can be just about them and you can probably still sell the product and they can probably buy it, buy and be a client. But that, But if they leave the business or if they have another project come up, I think that's not going to bode well for the overall success of whatever that person's buying. So sell higher, sell sell wider, make sure that other teams are involved and they, they see the value in it as well. Because that's going to make it a lot harder to just go with the status quo when more people are involved and more people feel that pain. Yeah, great point, Erin. I think that impact piece is there's a couple of parts to that, right? It's the personal impact of the person that you typically speak with first that you want to make it important for them so Build that the they can too. then help you internally bring in other folks yep. and then understand the impact to the organization, which that's when you start selling high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, and I've heard you you use a, a framework of uh, kind of why change why you, why now? Uh, and it, it, I think that framework it talks or maybe it encompasses everything we've talked about here. Uh, we have to, we do discovery to understand you know, why, did, why do they have to do anything at all right now? So why change? Um, and then we need to understand what is it about us and the way that we would solve this problem that's, you know, compelling to this, this prospect, this customer, this company, um, you know, their market. What are we actually allowing them to affect? Uh, and why not? You know, what are they, what happens six months from now if they haven't solved this problem? What are the ripple effects of that um, within their business? Um, and as we do that type of discovery, we, you know, resist that, again, urge um, to to pitch, um, resist that itch to pitch. Okay, so we've heard um, a lot of tactics here, you know, asking for consent or permission uh, to be able to position against competitors, make it casual. We don't need to be overly formal. Uh, we don't need to give the prospect a sense that this is going to be, you know, something that they should keep quiet on or protect. It's just, you know, easy conversation. Let me help you. Um, and also teeing up, what are some questions that we know that, um, you know, would help them by asking their competitors, you know, put us in a place of, of power and put us in a place of solving their problem uh, in a better way. And um, the ARR framework. So address, reframe, redirect while you're itch to pitch and the uh, why change, why you, why not? Anything else? Yeah, I would just add it all of that. I think there's a common thread of the theme in there and it's it's prospect over self. So it's always coming from the lens of you're really trying to support them, navigate how big this problem is, um, what's going to be best for them to solve it, and then in there, how your solution can can do that better than others. If it, if it lines up to what their main challenges and needs are 100 you both said it so well <laughs> so i have last one last um one last question for you what is the worst loss that you still remember oh tell me the deets 
Well, I, that one's an easy one for me. Um, we were a vendor of choice for a long, long, long time and then kept, you know, getting the reassurance from that champion. But six months in, they completely dropped us and went with our competitor due to cost because the, the vendor was, you know, 25% of the cost. And it hurt. It hurt bad because it was a big, big partnership, big deal. Um, but the silver lining here is that per- that uh, partners le- has left the, uh, that competitor and is most likely moving to us soon. So that's uh, the silver lining. Was there anything like upon reflecting back um, in some of the, the tactics that we've talked about here that you think yeah. you could have um, dug into a bit more? It, it was a sell high. I was too single threaded. And um, also, uh, once you get that vendor of choice, this actually happened to one of my reps last month. You kind of are like, okay, we're vendor of choice, but that can change, right? So you need to reconfirm that vendor of choice um, and uh, make sure that you're not single threaded, i.e. you have more senior or other people on the team involved in the project so that it can't die on on one person's uh, desk. I love that. So it's, um, you know, maybe we've done great work to lay, you know, the, the groundwork or foundation for this deal. We are vendor of choice. These tactics, you need to continuously cycle through. Yeah. And you need to be careful. You don't want to be annoying about it, but you want to make sure that you're it's still top of mind and that you're still providing value to that that client who has vocalized they, they would like to choose you. Yeah. Lee, I'm curious on yours. Oh, the one that got away, the one that still keeps me up at night. Um, it was an absolute dogfight. Like, I was, it was a really intense head-to-head um felt like I, I had done all of the things um, and they ended up choosing uh, another vendor. And when I went back through that deal, what I had realized is I hadn't set the foundation at the very beginning. And so what ended up happening was I was just throwing spaghetti at the wall. I was identifying and, and, and helping them solve problems. But my competitor was was helping them throughout the sales cycle solve that number one problem and that number one challenge. And they kept coming back to that. Um, and so that the, my miss in that deal was not setting that foundation and really, really understanding what that number one challenge and pain was, but trying to tackle all of it at once. Um, so it felt like I was doing a lot of work, but my energy and my effort was everywhere and not in the one place it needed to be. And my competitor did that better than me. Um, and they ended up winning. Yeah, I can see how that shaped some of the ways that, that you're coaching uh, your teams from both of, of the losses that you shared. Tough breaks, we've all had them. If you're in sales, you've lost. That's just what we, oh, uh, but we went back up and then, you know, we learned to compete uh, better from our losses often more than our wins. Such a pleasure speaking with you both. Yeah, thanks Jody. Thanks, thanks, thanks Jody. y'all for listening. <laughs>